0: Hi, I'm Declan Quigley, and you're listening to Defying the Odds, a new podcast series brought to you by We Love Cycling Ireland. In each episode, I'll be speaking to a cycling professional or enthusiast who, despite facing many challenges along the way, has achieved something truly exceptional. Joining me today is the brilliant Rochelle Timothy, a woman who has had two sporting lives the first interrupted by an acquired brain injury following surgery for a rare genetic condition, and who has begun a new chapter in her sporting odyssey as a Team Ireland paracyclist. She has medalled at world championship level and recorded personal bests in the 3 kilometer pursuit and 500 meter time trial at the Paralympics in Tokyo, as she continues her transition from Gaelic football and soccer star to world-class bike rider. Uh, Rochelle, you're very welcome, and um, have you come down to earth after Tokyo? Tell us what the experience was like.
1: Thanks a million, yeah. um, I suppose I'm back to normal now, I would say. Uh, It was fairly hectic when I got home first, like, you know, everyone was visiting, it was just all go. So I think it's starting to calm down again now, but we'll be getting back into training soon, so...
0: Uh, And what were your expectations going to Tokyo? Were they met? Were they exceeded? And had you any idea what the experience was going to be like?
1: Yeah, it was my first game, so I didn't really know what to expect, I suppose, and with the way it was, different to previous games as well. But yeah, I was going there in the best shape I could have gone. Um, My goal was probably just to get PBs, perform to my very best, and gain as much experience as I could that I could take forward to Paris. So I think, yeah, I did that, and I definitely outperformed what I thought I would I suppose by taking seconds off like you're hoping to get maybe half a second or that and then to take seconds off I was delighted. 13.6 um, seconds I think yeah yeah it, up yeah, up it up was yeah. 3k time
0: that was uh, that's a decent chunk
1: yeah it was a big chunk so hopefully we'll still keep taking little chunks as we go but uh yeah I suppose with not having competition the year previous it was hard to know where everyone was but everyone seemed to push it up that little bit so there's still there's still a way to go.
0: And what, you're getting on the plane and heading off to Tokyo, uh, could you have imagined that your life would have taken you on that journey even, what was it, uh, five years ago now, 2016, when things began to change for you? Talk to me a little bit about growing up in Ballymo, County Galway slash Roscommon.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I suppose I was uh, always sports mad. We would have supported Galway as kids growing up because you know, were just on the border, literally in the Galway side. So we go to all the Galway matches, hurling football ladies football, everything we could. And then myself and my brother, when we got to underage level, we started playing with the, our club, St. Crohn's, which is a half parish between Godwin and Roscommon, and we actually play in the Roscommon side. So then we got on county teams and that, so we started to play for Roscommon and still support Godwin. It was always a big, you know, the club, there was a lot of rivalry. was really good. But um, yeah, from then, then I suppose I was into every possible sport. Like it was a case of going to school to you know, actually show up to go home and play and, like, outside, get the homework done, then I could go outside and do whatever I wanted, like, whether that be, you know, go cycling, go running, go kicking a football, basketball, everything, like, every single evening was taken up with that, and school was just a case of how quickly I could get
0: everything done, like. And, and so, yeah. the bike was always there, was it, was it something, was it a vehicle to get you to your sport and from it?
1: Yeah, definitely, like, I live way out in the countryside, and I suppose we'd be going to friends' houses, and it was, like, cycling, meet each other halfway, and then decide whose house we were going to like, so it was always there. Like I actually done community games, cycling on grass when I was under twelve or under fourteen or whatever. But I always I remember actually looking at I went to my primary school there last week. You know, they brought me in and that and they were talking about my confirmation book. So I used to have to like put in what you wanted to be in that. And I had like pictures of playing soccer and pictures of on the bike. At the time I did I hadn't got into County football as much as I was, so I thought, oh, maybe cycling as an individual sport, like. But I never thought a few years later I'd actually be cycling. Like I think when I got on the county team first for football, that was my go-to then, and I was gonna the good. Well, I'd hoped I was gonna play football for ever, I suppose you could say.
0: And then life started to change a little bit. Tell us about um the operation you had, why you had to have it, and what eventuated.
1: Yeah, so um when I was. Sixteen, I climbed Kilimanjaro for charity And they were doing like lung capacity tests And mine showed up like a low lung capacity But it was the same every time they checked it So it was nothing to really worry about Then I came back from Kilimanjaro And I started getting pains in my chest uh, When I was playing football Didn't really know what it was Went to the doctor or whatever And it was actually a trainee doctor So they wanted me to look into it more like And they seen like a shadow on an X-ray And they thought chest infection And then it was still there So then they sent me to a specialist And from that I was diagnosed with HHT, which is a hereditary condition where there's like malformations in your arteries. And um, from that, then they can be in different parts of your body, lungs, liver, brain. So they just scanned me and there was a few in my lungs. I got them treated with coils. So they put in like metal coils, cut off the point that extra blood is going to basically. And then they scanned my brain and there was one in my brain, but it was really small. So they said we'll keep an eye on it. It's nothing to worry about because it was so small. And then they brought this new machine in to Ireland, which was like a radio surgery. So non-invasive. And they said like, this is the way forward for little things like that. Like people might get it for like mole removal, you know, after chemo, they might get it to reduce swell and it's all about like non-invasive. So I said, yeah, if that's the way to go. I'll do that. So then I got that AVM treated with Cyberknife, which is a radio surgery. And Afterwards then was when all the complications came
0: do, do you regret the surgery now? I mean, how do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, like, well, after, like I suppose when everything started to go wrong Yeah, I regret it But then, looking at my cycling I wouldn't be here if I didn't have it So, yeah, I'm always going to be annoyed I got it But at the same time, what would I be doing now? Maybe still kicking a football, you wouldn't know, like, so.
0: So on the back end of that, um, you go out for a night with your friends and you have an experience the following day that initially was put down to uh, the partying the night before, but that turned out to be uh, not the correct analysis.
1: Yeah, so then this was the Christmas after, so I got in the October and, uh, yeah, I just ended up having a seizure the day after night out and my friend's mother was a nurse, so she said, listen, even though she knew it was a seizure, she said, we better go. Any, just make sure it's nothing So I went in and obviously it was like the day after Stevens Day And it was packed with people From the night before you could say So they just looked at me and everything was fine So they just put it down to Saturday night paralysis Which they'd call it like you drank a little bit too much Or whatever and at the time I was like okay Could be fair enough but in my head I was still like I had a brain procedure so wonder they don't look into it mm. Um. So anyway I went home And then a month later same thing again Not after a night out oh, just during the day I kind of could feel it coming on in that my hand started to twitch a bit and then lock and then the shaking and that but then for the for a few the first times I would have kind of passed out so I wouldn't remember what happened until like someone would have to tell me what happened and then I'd be like oh yeah I remember my hand locking or whatever and that's all you remember like so went into the hospital and it's kind of just a medication thing because epilepsy so they treated it as epilepsy um because they didn't have anth- they didn't do an MRI at that time they just wanted to treat the epilepsy when I only had When I had the two seizures I was kind of like Keep going It'll be grand like And then as they started to occur More I suppose often You were trying to find a cause So they were saying You know It could be You drink Or caffeine Or exertion Or tiredness Can be causing it But mine were just so irregular That I couldn't actually find something That was causing it So at the start I thought it was I was drinking So I won't drink That sort of thing And then the next time There was no cause So I was like Crap what do I put this down to Um. So yeah I like I just kind of kept going until I was having them more and more regularly. They were up in the dose of medication and it just kept going. I remember I was like playing a match and I could feel my hand going a bit numb and I was like, oh, just take me off. Like, So that was kind of the last soccer game I played would have been through, through the college year we were in universities and I was just like, I dived or whatever. And I think that's what caused it as well. Like when I was diving, obviously... My head was moving, hitting the ground or whatever. So I got taken off in two matches. Well, I kind of said to myself, "Take me off, like." And then from that, I kept pushing. The doctors like it must be something to do with the brain. And then eventually they said they do an MRI, and there was swelling on the MRI. But I, as not being a doctor, and I probably didn't look into it as much. It just showed that, uh, you know, this is side effects of the radio surgery. It's nothing to worry about. So keep on your medication, and you'll be fine. So that was me and then I went out on holidays. A
0: side effect that you thought was going to go away, I would just diminish yeah. and, and
1: it was just you know. a reaction. They like the doctors said it's a reaction to your brain basically being touched. Like, you know, if you hit your ankle, it swells around it. Right. So that was what I was thinking in my head, okay, they're like, Yeah, that'll go down. So that was fine. Went on holidays. I came back then and that was when I suppose I started to realise something was definitely wrong. So I was out playing football, countertrain training or whatever and I remember like running around a cone, going out running around the cone and like whatever way I was doing it, I was just slow, so slow to get around the cone when I was going towards my right and I was thinking, oh, there's something wrong here. Like I was getting a bit of a headache on and off for the previous week. So I just said to the manager, listen, I'm going to step out of a bit of a headache. Nothing med of it or that and then the next day I was in college, I just had this pounding headache like when I'd lift my head, move my head, went to the gym, I was doing like, trying to sit up or whatever and it was just getting your head off the ground so went to different like college doctor mid doc all the out of hours ones because it used to come and go so it wasn't really something during the day I might be 100% so anyway eventually got a few of them They was all treated for migraine 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 because that was what it looked like to them and then I went home at the weekend and I remember like lying in bed and I was like could not lift my head off it so straight to west dock and then they were like yeah I think it's a bit more than migraine but we can't do a scan over the weekend so I came to Monday then And I was like I had something on in college I was just like I'll do I'll go Monday Tuesday So anyway Monday night then During the night I woke up and I had like Lost all power on my right side So I couldn't move And I was kind of panicking And then the, Like Jenny was with me So I was trying to say something And my speech was gone So my face started to droop So she was like Like crap This looks like What it looked like was a stroke So it kind of got me sitting up Brought me to the hospital And then by the time I got there it, I was grand I looked fine so they did all the tests and I explained what happened. She explained what it looked like. And then the doctor there was like, we need to get you an MRI straight away like that. We think it could be a stroke, but it could be like a bleed. It could be anything like that. They weren't saying to me and in my head, I was just thinking, oh, it's, it's the swelling that's obviously showing up now. So I went and got the MRI and like I had got loads of MRIs in the past. And you come out and you have a good look at the screen when you're done. Like, to see, can you see Anthony? As if I would have any idea what an MRI <laughs> yeah, yeah. looked like. But anyways, so got this one came out, looked at the screen, they were all blank, like, and your arm was like, we'll get someone to come get you. So, like, they didn't want me walking, they didn't want me And So That's when I knew, oh, crap, there's something yeah. wrong here, like. Yeah. So, yeah, I was in hospital then for about two or three weeks. They were just putting me on steroids, trying to get the swelling down. So, basically, they had showed me the swelling was about the size of, like, a grapefruit, and it was, like, half of my brain coming towards the front as well. So, what was happening was I was getting the pressure headaches, where literally I was moving and the swelling was, like, moving between my brain and your skull like so then sent me home they thought that was coming down I remember getting physio and I had a county semi-final with my club that weekend the weekend I was supposed to be getting out of hospital and I was like to the physio she was like you'll get an hour physio every day I was like oh please like this is ridiculous or whatever I thought steroids swelling gone back to normal sort of thing so I was like to her like so will I be able to play at the weekend? And she was like, listen, you just have to learn how to walk. I was like, what? Like in my head, I was like, what do you mean learn how to walk? Like, so they put me on the bears to walk. And then I was kind of like really bad drop foot, really slow to get moving. Couldn't walk up and downstairs, Totally disorientated on what I was trying to do. Like at the time, I didn't realize how severe it was. Like I thought this will be gone by tomorrow. So every day I woke up, I thought it'd be gone by tomorrow. Like, and then I suppose that was when it started to hit that. No, it won't be gone. I remember going to then like a home or a different physio who would say when I got home and I walked in and I expected like they were just wanting me back walking properly so I presumed walk run properly sort of a thing I went in, sat down, did the tests and then said like when was it that you had the stroke and I was like what? I didn't have a stroke like and then she was kind of like oh didn't know what to say like and I was like what are you on about a stroke like so then she's like we need to go week by week so this week you're gonna walk with a splint, This next week you're gonna walk without a splint on it. This was just like, what? This doesn't make any sense like. So they're giving me exercise to do and sure I was doing double the amount. But at that time I still had the muscle memory to do stuff. So it was actually like six months later that then I realised how bad I really was. Right. Because I had lost muscle, I had lost more power and I was back to we'll say, having nothing on the right side at all. And
0: by losing muscle you lose the ability to build muscle. So it's kind of a knock Yeah,
1: exactly, yeah. yeah. So I was like Still trying to do my gym stuff, but you get a bit of the way and then you just wouldn't have the power to keep going in that side. Like, so I was lucky enough in the fact I was left handed. So I don't think, like, the question used to always be, How's your hand? And I used to be like, Oh, it's great. It's actually not too bad. Like, but I wouldn't be able to lift a cup of tea. Like, whereas if that was the hand I would use, I would probably have been saying it's so bad. But because I was left handed, I didn't notice as much, you could say.
0: Would an earlier MRI have made a difference?
1: Yeah, it's hard. like I suppose if the swelling was seen earlier, they would have treated it earlier. But I, that leads me to my next, I suppose, complication, you could say. The ste- I was on the steroids and they don't want to keep giving you an MRI scan cuz the radiation. So they presumed the steroids would work, but they did a 3-month scan then and the steroids hadn't worked. So it actually got bigger again, and that's why I remember ringing and saying my grip has gone worse in my right hand cuz I used to I was able to like Lift a glass and then I couldn't even lift like an empty glass So I knew listen this is getting worse like, So then they did it and the only option at that time was try to get it down Like either drain the swelling They didn't want to do that because I had been on so much different medication That that could have ended up worse So then from that then I went on to chemotherapy Something they would use for if someone had got a tumour taken out They would use this to get rid of the swelling around the area so they started that, and this was almost a year after the swelling had started at this stage. Uh, this is, like, set 2017. I went in, and <laughs> the woman talking to me in there was like, we'll do this now, and it'll be, we'll get rid of the swelling, and you'll be back to normal. Like So I did that, 12 rounds, it worked. So the scans, from the scans, you could see it getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But then then I went to a neurologist, and he said to me, do you want me to be honest, Richard, or do you want me to just say the scans are lovely and I was like just tell me like at this stage so he was like brilliant the scan the swelling is gone but every everywhere it was covering is now dead like so it's not like if you hurt your foot and the swelling goes your foot goes back to normal the brain cells were damaged and they don't regenerate themselves so I was kind of like in shock for a while and I suppose that's when I was the worst because I couldn't do anything I had deferred my year in college it was my final year so I was like I need to start. Like I didn't know what to do. Couldn't concentrate. Couldn't do anything. So I moved home anyway, and I said, "I'll just, you know, take out, take the year out, see how I go from there." So yeah, from that, I suppose I went to this conference over in Croatia. It's a it was a HHT conference, and I remember the main doctor there like looked at me and he said, "You had radio surgery, like from not from just me walking towards him." And I said, "Yeah," and he said, "Now you need to be here tomorrow and listen." So then they did. Different scientific things on it, and they were like, This why it shouldn't be done, but this wasn't known two years previous. Yeah. So I was sitting there, I remember my man being with me, like, Why did we come? Like, but I think it was actually, yeah. was it useful? Yeah, like it was, it was useful if I had it two years previously. Like, I would never have got the,
0: but was it useful to know to be confronted with?
1: That? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I think that was the first time I realized, okay, I need to start again, basically. So he told me, This is your new baseline. You can either, you need to start your life from here. I think that was what I needed to hear like. I needed to stop listening to everyone saying in two months you'll be fine. Mm. In four months you'll be fine. In six months you'll be back to normal. He just said you won't ever be back to normal. You'll never be the person you were. Go from here. So I went home after that anyway and it was what I needed to hear like. It probably gave me a good kick in that right. I need to get out of bed and pull myself together like. So that's what I did. And then I suppose from there that's how I got on the bike just for the sake of I couldn't walk long distances. So I was like in my head, I was still sporty. Like, doctor said, what's your... Ho-? I remember a doctor asked me, what's your hobbies? So I was listing off, like, sports, sports, sports. What do you do in college sports? Where do you work in a gym? I Literally, his face was like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> do you read a book? I was like, an autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, maybe you should find something. I was like, my mom's like, she doesn't, like, have anything. Like, the definition of nothing to fall back on. Like, yeah. So from there, then I said, all right, I'm going to just do something at home for myself. So I got on a bike.
0: And uh, so what has it meant to you? I mean, what's, it was the dawn of a new life for you, was it? It gave gave meaning to your life in some way? Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah. Like I went back to college to finish and um, Thomas Fallon was in my course actually and he was a cyclist and now he's coaching or whatever. But uh I remember him saying to me, i seen you on a bike, like. So I was saying, yeah, like I was kind of getting in with Parasport and he's like, keep at that, like there's a future in that and I was like really and he was like yeah yeah keep doing it you're sporty he's like even if you don't do it you'll be so good to coach or so good to be involved as someone with now a disability you could explain what you should and shouldn't do that sort of thing so I just kept going went to loads of different um like I suppose events around Ireland just they do these TTs every month or whatever and then Fran Meehan came and she was a pilot in London and Ryush did the triathlon and uh, she said she'd coach me, give me some stuff. So while I was in college, I was just doing like three days in a gym on a watt bike or whatever. And it was perfect to keep me going. But then finished college and literally the day after I finished, I was like, Fran, I want a full program. Because like, I wasn't going working because of the fatigue with the brain injury. So she just gave me stuff every day and I just, I suppose, went from there.
0: And... Uh, what's the progress been like? I mean, presumably it's been quite challenging, quite demanding. I mean, you had to learn a brand new sport and also learn about your new body.
1: Yeah, so I suppose for the first year, it was all about like learning about my body, how much I could do when I needed to stop, when I needed a rest. And then it took me probably until now. Now I know, OK, if I'm feeling bad one day. So with the brain injury, you get fatigue very easily or you might be fine. So some days I'm just like, I need to not do that today because if I do it today, I'll need four days off whereas if I take today off I'll be back all right tomorrow like but it took so long for me to realize that so I suppose when Fran started coaching me first she knew about it because she was in the Paris scene yeah. so she was like I don't want you training every day I want you to train two days day off two days day off and did that and then it kind of just progressed rapidly like I went to a track competition in Manchester and then Neil who was the high performance coach was like there and I was like oh my god Imagine if I got on there or whatever And he like comes over And he's just like What's your name I was like oh my god <laughs> He was like My mom always says here she, He kind of reminds you of an army person Like yeah, And um Delham, yeah, yeah yeah So I was like Oh god he's here like Or whatever And I did pretty like Pretty slow But he was just like uh, I'll be in contact I was like oh god okay So then This was 2019 Start of 2019 He rings and he just says We want you to come to a camp in Mallorca And I was like Oh my God, like what? I was like, yes, straight away, like without even asking or whatever. And he's like, you'll need like bring your bike, just your old bike and we'll sort everything else for you. So that was the start of the elite squad, I suppose. And I remember I had a golf at the time, so I had to get an adaptive care. So I think my parents got me the care straight away because I left. I lived in the middle of nowhere. I had lost all touch with friends, all touch with everything from being at home all the time. So that was giving me that little bit of freedom. So I put all the money I had into getting this adapted care. And then within a day of getting a call from Neil, I was like, Care on Dundee, I need to get a better bike. Yeah. So I'd sold the sold the car, <laughs> got a bike and a van for the same price. And my mom was just like, This is the start of it. Now she says yeah, she the remembers like at the moment I believe. Yeah, I did yeah, sold now, <laughs> <I'm> moving up. <laughs> but yeah, so it was um I just I kind of commit fully to stuff like, so this was a sport someone was giving me a chance at. Right. I was like, I can make money the rest of my life. Let's just put all in now.
0: Individual sport, but then as part of a squad, I mean, how does it compare to your team sport uh, competition before that?
1: Yeah, it is completely different. You're training on your own all the time. And I think that is something I still need to work on. I'm, I would say I'm motivated, but then I'm easily saying, oh, I'll do it yeah. later. Because I'm used to being like, right, we're training at seven. I'd always be there at seven, like, because there's a group, do you know. So when I'm on camp, Neil always says you get the, I get the best out of myself when I'm on camp and I'm surrounded by it. everyone's up at this time, everyone goes at this time, all that. So it's just something I suppose COVID kind of knocked me back in that I had to be on my own. But it also taught me a lot more of what you can do when you're on your own. So, yeah, I'd say I always say I'm part of the Cycling Ireland team, not... I'm a cyclist, individual cyclist. So I like like being surrounded by, obviously, Katie, George and Eve. Like, they're the best in the world and you're training with them. You're, you know, you're sharing rooms with them. Everything they're doing, you're doing because they're the best. So this is what you need to do. That's inspiring. Yeah, like, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Like, and then, obviously, Ronan, like, Ronan Grimes can go out and beat able-bodied A1 riders every day of the week. And he's a para athlete. So that, obviously... And from Galway. I yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, from Galway. Like, come on. Yeah. So then he, like... That just shows the, how high the standard of parasport is. Yeah. And I think the coverage of the Paralympics was brilliant because people actually seen that. I know some people like will say for me if I was looking for bike sponsorship or something, there is a cutoff between are you an elite cyclist or are you a paralympic cyclist?" Well, so I think yeah. yeah, so I think there is a it's now becoming more obvious, like the time Sarah story is doing on the track. able-bodied girls are doing on the track, so.
0: Uh, and do you think there are still perception issues there for the public? Is it something that needs to be worked on?
1: Yeah, I think definitely like prior to these games, there would have been I think the coverage and the publicity around it now met it like really showed how high the standard is um as well. I can see now. I'd be able to go and race able-bodied races, maybe B races, A three, A four lads
0: races. And the fact that you don't obviously look like a para athlete, mm. I suppose, is that uh, has that had its. Does that lead to complications as well in people's perception of you?
1: Yeah, I think it leads to complications in sponsorship. To be oh. honest, like I think as an you're either an athlete or an influencer kind of thing. So I think if I had, as we call it, a glamour disability, if something was missing, if I was visibly in a wheelchair, it'd be like like Red Bull or someone could be like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. But for for someone looking at me, you wouldn't know unless I walked or if I cycled, you'd be able to see. So I always say to people, if they're standing behind me like, I like I have got a tattoo on the back of my arm that's a bike and then like the Paralympic symbol I'm like if you're standing behind me you can see I was at the Paralympics and I'm a cyclist then if you look at my legs one is a lot smaller than the other yeah. but like to look at me directly you wouldn't know that like so it is but it's when you're in the power environment as well you see a lot of other people who might not be visibly so there's this thing in cycling like there's different classes so like if you see a C4 it's like look at the ankles they probably be smaller because they could have something with their lower limbs like, yeah. and then look at the arms that sort of thing so I think a lot of people now especially with me Ronan, a lot of the athletes didn't actually have really really noticeable impairments and I think it's good because there could be people cycling walking around there with a disability that they don't know would qualify them and they could be unbelievable athletes
0: what's it done for you personally spiritually I mean has this been a a uh, a sort of a window and into a new life that you'd never imagined before I mean what's it done for you?
1: Oh absolutely like it gave me a new purpose of life I suppose uh, mentally like I probably wasn't in a good place in that I didn't know what I was going to do like realistically couldn't work full time or if I did I'd be working full time and go home and go to bed like so then it gave me a chance to train full time with not the same amount of hours but use the rest recovery like obviously I'm funded by Sport Ireland which is absolutely brilliant but at the same time I do a bit of work in the off season and that because it's not something you'd live off. And I'm lucky enough, young enough. I don't have a family to support. I don't have anything like that. But I have to look to the future as well in that you realistically would need to work as well. And for someone, uh, some of the para-athletes who have impairments like me with a brain injury, it's just not practical. So, you know, I won't be working and cycling. I'll be cycling until I can't cycle anymore and then I'll work.
0: And so we won't think about the... I mean, it is a job, isn't it? I mean, you you treat it as a job. You're a full-time bike rider.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you get up in the morning and whatever's on your training peaks, that's your work for the day. So, and then, like, obviously, you need to recover, you need to eat right, you need to go to the gym. Everything revolves around it. And I think I was used to that from football in that I couldn't go on holidays. I couldn't... Be here, there and everywhere Because I train on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday So I need to be home for training So I'm trying to treat It's different in the cycling Because I cannot do the training in the morning And say I'll do it in the evening But I want (laughs) I said after the games I would get into routine of doing it Like getting the training done Because that's my number one And it is like So everything I do Outside of cycling is number two So cycling is my job The same way that If someone was going to 9 to 5 work They don't do something at 9 o'clock When they know they need to be in work Sort of a thing So yeah it's taken a bit of time to adjust to that. but
0: You, you had your difficulties, didn't you, in the time trial in, the, in, uh, yeah. in Tokyo with, you know, you sort of went to sort of favor the right side and you kind of imagined that you had more strength there than you have.
1: Yeah, like I, I suppose I, when I got on the TT bike first or the track first, like I could only use one ski, like I couldn't even get my right hand, like wherever I put it on the start was where it stays. So eventually then I progressed and Neil has made the barriers narrow and narrow and narrow. But it's not as easy as an able-bodied person making them narrower. I don't have that grip. I don't have that reaction. So a lot of the girls in my category are the same. So you'd know like I'd know oh, the American girl can't go well to the left or I can't go well to the right sort of thing. So you are aware of that. But then the TT course, like there might be more right turns than there is left turns. You don't know. And it depends when you get there. So, yeah, definitely. It was a very technical course. There was a lot of downhills into bends, and I remember the day before the TT, myself and the mechanic went out for a spin, like, and I wouldn't be someone who'd take it easy, like, I was like, listen, I need to either go all in, so he's like, commit to the downhill, and I was like, grand, fully commit to the downhill, Then he's like, whoa, too committed, and he knew I was going to go, like, wobbly, so literally, I just broke out the bike upright and, like, went into the barriers, but it was all cushioned off, like, And ended up standing and he was like I have no idea how you didn't crash there Like I was like oh well that was too committed But yeah I just see what happens is If you're going really fast And if something does happen my body automatically Goes to react the way it used to Before the brain injury So it goes to move the right hand quickly But the right hand doesn't move quickly So it doesn't have that process in time That when I'm walking has enough time to process right Step forward So basically the way I see it is the pathway That goes directly to tell my right side what to do has it makes is now a longer route around so if I panic or do something quickly it'll try to do what it's not able to do and that's what leads to that split second of a mishap like so on in the road race it's not actually too bad because everything's on the left side of the bike but on the TT just the bars are a little bit more complicated so you've all the gears on the left yeah all the gears and the braking is all on the left so if something like if my right hand was gone weak I'd still be totally able to control the bike but on the TT, if you try to lean to one side, especially with the wheels and all that crack, you're going down, like, so. It definitely is something, you can adapt things, and then that's where I see the equipment, like, there's a, the Australian girl would have a weak left side, I think, so she has different hooks and clips on the bike to stop her hands slipping off and that sort of thing. So that's where you learn about the equipment as well.
0: So how are Team Ireland fixed in terms of um, preparation and planning and, indeed, funding for, for Paris?
1: Yeah, I think... Um, I suppose the Veldrum is a big problem, that we have to go abroad to train, that it costs a lot of money. It's in the Um, development plan. Yes, I heard that. We'll see. I said, will I be retired or not by the time it's done? But we shall see. Um, Yeah, I think there's still definitely room for more
0: funding. It's it's. I mean, I think I'm right in saying that it's tougher for the para-athletes than even for the other HP uh, mm. Irish cyclists. Uh, I mean, they have Mallorca. It's not perfect. It's not as ideal as people think it is. But uh, for you guys, it's tough to actually get the trips that you need.
1: Yeah, I suppose a lot um, of the older, like para would be an older scene. So there are ones with kids, ones with families, you know, and they can't be gone all the time just to train on a track. And then like equipment rise, a tandem is a lot more expensive than a normal bike. For me, I can't just go in and buy a bike. I need to get, you know, I need to have DI2. Everything needs to be to the left of the bike. So it's costing way, way more than a normal bike. And there's funding. We're getting our funding. Um, so funding from Sport Ireland really is to fund you to be a full-time athlete. So you should be using that to live off. But for me and for the amount of equipment I need, I, my funding goes to bike equipment And I think that's something As you spend longer in the sport You obviously have your equipment got But for me for these years I'm just putting the money in To get the equipment I can And then of course Comes to two years later And you need different equipment again yeah. So it is It's The way I look at it is I work to I do a bit of extra work With Sports Common Sports Partnership To give me living money And then my funding is going on the bike Because I'm willing to put that in Do you know But yeah it's definitely It's hard There's we're hoping for more funding in regards to maybe like we've got, we got track bikes from cycling Ireland for Tokyo, which was a massive help. Like I was on a Severn, I think it was prior to that. And so was Ronan Grimes who won a medal at the world championships. Like, and it was funny because guys were looking at his bike thinking, Oh, what's this brand? Like, well, this must be fast, but no, it was just whatever was available. Like, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's good. We have arrogance now. So it is, you know, it was it was good that we were given them, that we were allowed to use them. But the fact is if they sit in a store and we don't get on the track, they're not really any use either. So
0: Yeah, you've got to get those. And and so what is the plan then? I mean, what do you anticipate in the next year? And it's just a three year cycle of course, to...
1: Yeah, so the qualification actually starts straight away in January, whereas normally there would be a year that we'll be racing but there wouldn't be any qualification or nations points. So they're starting straight away in January. There's no venue for the track world championships next year, but they're hoping Europe. That would be March, so that would be the first major competition So I suppose you're straight into your winter training We will hopefully have a track camp December or January That would be Mallorca, which you normally would have around that time of year And then like COVID restrictions seem to be lifting a lot So there will be a lot more racing So for me, I'm willing to use my fund to just travel to as many international races as I can I don't have kids, don't have family at home So... It's an opportunity for me and it's also an opportunity for Ireland to get the qualification points now in the first two years because what happened was there wasn't enough points got prior to Tokyo and then there was a big panic and you couldn't gain the points you had lost by not travelling to earlier events. So I think that's something in general Cycling Ireland want us to do and pressure yeah exactly
0: yeah it, it, it then you were looking for two peaks in the year as well it's it, it, that's tougher I presume
1: yeah so I suppose after the games we were kind of focusing on are you going to focus on track or are you going to focus on road or are you going to do both that like which is actually more beneficial so for me I think I'd be stronger on the track but I would still race the road um so I'm not going to specialize in one or another of an event for now like but as you said, like there's two world championships, they carry the most points and they'd be like March and September. So really you're trying to get your track legs for March, which means technically being big and strong. And then you need to be as light as possible for a hilly road race in September. So it is a crazy year, but that's the way we treat it. as nearly two separate years.
0: Right. What does the bike do for you on a regular basis? Presumably getting out the road is, is good for the head.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like it's like cycling is just such a good sport in that like you get somewhere, I think. Uh, When I used to play football They used to say You know Off season running And that was like Torturous Like You run And it takes you About an hour And you get nowhere With the bike You can just get out Like Take out the earphones You know Just do miles and miles And I know in Ireland It's not that warm Like I'd say Layer up and get out As opposed to Sit on Zwift I'm not really An indoor training person um, So I like to get out As much as I can, obviously, realistically in that But, uh, yeah, it's definitely It's good for the head, I think it's really good For where I live, it wouldn't be a cycling place It wouldn't be, like, obviously Dara is from Roscommon, so there's two cyclists And people are like, like, there's not really any clubs So, like, where did we come out of, really? We just decided in our own Our own selves to get on a bike so I think it's really good, like there's loads of little kids now around where I live and they're just mad to get on bikes, like and mad to be out cycling. So it, it, it's really good, yeah.
0: Do you manage to, uh, much connection with the local cycling scene, the local club scene?
1: So yeah, I'm in with Castle Cycling Club. They only started about three years ago. So I kind of just got started with them when I got on the bike. And uh, yeah, it's growing. Uh, it's growing in Roscommon, I think, in general, just people wanting to get fitter. Like especially with COVID, a lot of people got bikes and they just want to get out and do their Saturday and Sunday spins. They don't want to race necessarily, which is fine. Like, so that's what a lot of it is: leisure, getting more people on a bike leisurely. And as well, I think there's that big gap in Roscommon and Galway with kids who play football and kids G A G A G A, which is perfect. But like some of the kids in schools, we I go to teach cycle right in schools, and there are kids who just aren't interested in team sports. So I right. think cycling gives them that chance to go do something for themselves. Like go out and cycle yourself and see do you like go out and run yourself and see do you like it. But I think that's not really shown to kids at a young age. So it's good now the sport Ireland are bringing that in.
0: And uh, and what about family and friends? I mean, have they been supportive? What's their reaction been to your your new sporting life?
1: Oh, crazy! Like my parents obviously knew I was always going to be sporty. Like I don't think they've had a weekend themselves since. Like my youngest brother is now twenty two and they don't know how to do with themselves. Like not having to drive us one of us to soccer, one of us to basketball, one of us to anything else like so I think my dad is still just doesn't get the whole cycling thing like he watched me on the track and he was just like in the scratch race he didn't know he's like who's in front who's behind what is going on like but I think he's getting more of the hang of it now like and my mom yeah I think she just likes me being involved in sport so she'd come to a lot of the TTS. And she'd all say before I'd be all like, right, need to give everything out and be absolutely dying when I come over the finish line. She's like, don't overdo it. I'm like, I'm here to overdo it. That's why I'm here. Like, but yeah, they've definitely been so supportive. My friends, just yeah, just give me abuse for wearing lycra and weird looking helmets, like. But yeah, you,
0: you look at cycling now. I mean, you presumably with different eyes than you did a few years ago.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you're. Even anyone cycling on the road You're like having a good look at them Like who are they now <laughs> What are they doing yeah. Which yeah Oh definitely Like I always like cycling I think like Obviously Lance Armstrong I would have watched You know you'd watch the Tour de France and be on TG Car during summer So you'd like Wimbledon Tour de France And I'd just watch If it was raining out I'd be watching it like You know yeah. But that's just a sheer interest in sport I didn't realise the whole bike thing I think a lot of my friends laugh now When they see like the price of bikes that they wouldn't normally have an interest in, they're like, oh my god, it's madness! Like, yeah. so yeah, it's good. It's 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 just good for the community in general as well to have something different.
0: They tell me there were a few flags up uh, <laughs> in around Ballymo, which is definitely hundred percent in County <laughs> Galway. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, it was crazy. Like, I came back from a camp in Majorca in June, I think it was, and I like just driving into Ballymo. It's only a tiny village, like, and there was just like flags everywhere, like with my face on them. I was like oh my god like I have to look at myself all the time now and like the Paralympic symbol like they totally zoned in they were totally aware of the difference between Paralympic and Olympic which I don't mind at all people if people say to me Olympic that's all right like if they say Paralympic brilliant I'm not going to correct an elderly neighbor for mixing them up because they're seeing me as an elite person then they're not seeing right. me as any less any different you know but they had yeah Paralympic symbols Paralympic flags they had loads of banners, like, wishing me good luck. Um, It was just, it was crazy, like, and it was brilliant to see because the only sign you'd ever see is, like, good luck to John and Michael in Crowe Park or something like that, like, so it was crazy. And a lot of people asked me, like, are you that one on the signs? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I when I go to schools and that, like, Um, it was just, it was brilliant. And they all came behind, like, I remember the first week I came home and just went into the local shop like and there's a lot of it's a aging population i'd say where i live a lot of elderly people they were like i was up at one o'clock watching you yeah and i was like oh like you didn't i didn't even think they'd be aware it was happening and then yeah different people saying they were up watching it and then i heard from a few like i watched the road rest i fell asleep like i didn't know what was going on (laughs) do you know i was like yeah fair enough i didn't know what was going on myself which, yeah,
0: government. that was exactly, yeah, so, know, it's been crazy, like even um it, it does feel like the coverage has gone up to a new level in this mm. partic- well, certainly i mean i I've covered twelve sixteen now and uh and twenty one or is it twenty okay <laughs> And London was extraordinary. That had that took it to a new place, didn't it? Yeah. The, uh, the Paralympics. Uh, Rio was a big dip. I mean, the money was there, basically, barely to run the Olympics, and then yeah. afterward it, it just. All, I mean, they barely ran the event. It seemed, you know, yeah. in some ways. Um We did get some coverage. did get some exceptional performances, and it was it was wonderful. But uh, but certainly, it felt like it went again back up to a better place. Yeah,
1: that's what yeah. the guys were saying. That have been at all them. Or what I would say was, I remember watching the London Games, like literally sitting down watching every single event of the Olympics, and I remember watching some of the Paralympics. Remember, remember Lizzie Deignan winning the cycling, like, because at that time I was still kind of like I wasn't interested in cycling, but I was like, oh my god, she's so young, she's so small, like that's just what I remember her cycling up, and the crowds being uh-huh. mental, like. And then I was in hospital for Rio, so I watched it, but it just like was like anti climax as to the support and everything just seemed to be not as much and then when you get talking to the Paralympics other people who've been at the mall they said London and then Rio was a bit disappointing and then they love Tokyo like but I think the coverage from Tokyo was brilliant in as well in the fact that parents and family couldn't travel that they were able to see it at home I remember Eve was saying some of her family were at home for Rio and they literally just seen them one minute coverage that was it oh, that's it was all so they could have to even yeah. get the coverage for yeah. us to
0: make even half decent reports it was yeah. um it was a shame really it was a, a missed opportunity from their point of view but things as you say certainly improved in, in Tokyo and fingers crossed it'll be to a new level again exactly in, in, in yeah, yeah yeah and it, it, hopefully again fingers crossed won't be a, a COVID games in Paris I and mean, what was the the whole sort of COVID environment in in Tokyo like
1: yeah it was they were very strict on what you can't do I suppose Not what you can do But for the cyclists We were based in Track accommodation And road accommodation Because it was so far away From the village We didn't actually go Into the village Until the end till we had all our events competed So it really felt like A big world championships right. Or a big You know That sort of thing And you were like Shuttled on buses And everything was Bam 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 But at the same time you were concentrating so much on your event, you weren't really thinking of what was going on around you. Like everyone was like, And what was the beds like? And what was this like? what was that like? I was like, I don't know, all I done was train, sleep eat, like yeah. but no, it was it was brilliant. And the, the village when we went in, we were able to enjoy it because we were finished racing, like, and it was just to see that. It was just like a big college yeah. accommodation, like literally reminded me of like the last night was like a big college house party, like in different places it was it's crazy but that's what I would you would it would probably be like the whole time if you were in there do you know so it was great to experience it all and then in Paris I feel like right I'll experience it now because I'm going to be so focused on you know yeah, that yeah. sort of thing
0: so you'll have a different different mindset exactly and the closing ceremony you were at that
1: yeah we were yeah. yeah it was crazy like they just put such effort into it like and it's it was it was really good like I know watching you'd watch them at home but you kind of have it on the background or sort of thing but to see it in real life like it's crazy. It's just like a show, like
0: so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's 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 inspiring stuff, and uh, we wish you the very best with all your endeavours in the next uh, in the next little while. It's been fantastic to have you uh, here with me today, and uh, yeah, thanks very much to our guest, uh, richelle Timothy. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. To find out the latest news, opinions, and reports from the wide and wonderful world of cycling, check out WheelofCycling.ie. Wheel of Cycling, powered by Skoda.